Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, producer, and sports writer for LSJ. Joining me, as always, is Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Solari and Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Chris, welcome back after after being away for a week. How you doing? Doing all right. You know, tough, tough couple weeks here, uh, but, you know, stay, staying afloat, um, you know, helped watching that game on Saturday and kind of covering it remotely just to take my mind off of things. And uh, it was interesting watching that performance from afar because you, you pretty much you saw what everybody in that stadium saw anyways, just a, a thorough domination in that second half. Yeah, especially, especially in the fourth quarter. Yeah, especially in the fourth quarter. Graham, how are you? I'm great. Uh, I, I guess from the last time we did this, people didn't, I had a, positive covid tests that turned out to be a false positive rapid test and then had to have a couple pcrs show up negative uh to get me out of quarantine and back into society so i certainly understand what athletes went through a year ago when you had like a false positive and it screwed up your week or your game or your i mean life and didn't nick saban deal with that last year and had to test back into um he did so anyway i i'm i'm back i'm good was glad not to have it in between that point though they gave me the antibodies like so i am like <laughs> roided up with anti-covid stuff whatever it is you um, are you're ready to be new, the new captain america at this point yeah i feel at some point i'm gonna have to go to the developing country to help out or something someplace without the vaccine because i've got so many antibodies in me but um <laughs> you feel different what's that you feel different I don't. I, I I feel great. I feel I mean, so maybe I do feel. I'll, different. I will say your uh, your story on Amber Reinstein and the uh, nutritionist staff that she has around her was was exceptional. And uh, maybe this is the key. Maybe this is this the writer's steroids. I appreciate that, and and uh, I have actually been visiting with a nutritionist for obvious reasons. For anybody who's seen me, <laughs> oh. life, we're trying to make some changes. Yeah, I feel I, I feel that one, Grandma. Uh, someone with a short, fat guy with constant back problems. So it's always, always great to have Graham. You mentioned that you were uh, allowed back into society, but unfortunately, you missed the Miami trip. Uh, and out of out of all the trips to miss, the Miami one is probably the one where you're like, oh man. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't do well in heat, to be honest. And and I heard it was pretty miserable in terms of the heat. So I'm I'm okay. And um, but I, it was it was interesting to see you know, so many Michigan State fans make the trip. And I knew that, you know, going in. And what's sort of fascinating from a Michigan State fan perspective, and, you know, Chris, we, we, we sort of went through the the era where it was very expensive to be an MSU fan, where it was, you know, they were going to Final Fours and college football playoffs. And, like, you had to, like, budget ten grand a year just to be a fan who was on the road yeah. with this team. And people, first of all, you had a pandemic, so there was nothing really to go to for a while. And then you, you've also had 
you haven't had those sort of experiences with with either program and and I think no bowl game last year helped too. Yeah, so you know I think people were were fired up to go to a destination spot. Always better to go to Miami in November than September, but uh, so I think people were fired up to go and and the way they played and the way they finished, uh, I think left people with a really good really good vibe. Chris mentioned your Amber Reinstein story that went up on Wednesday night. We were recording on, on Thursday afternoon here. And you said you may not have handled the heat very well had you been there, but it was clear Michigan State and their football team handled the heat very well. And, and Amber was a huge part of that based on what everyone was saying post game, where she was getting credited by the coach and multiple players. And uh, it, 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 that's just a small part of what seems to be a huge Spartans upsurge at the moment here in terms of popularity, rankings, and all that stuff. I think there's a there's a, I mean there's a lot of detail to the strength staff at sports science folks and you know and, and it's it's a lot of a lot of people combining for a lot of good work and then it's a team that I think has some some grit to them and and some sweat equity and um you know has been through some um has been through some stuff that you know a, a lot of these what's interesting is there's the Kenneth Walkers of the world which are huge stories rightfully so I mean he's phenomenal and leading the nation in rushing and and You've been every every bit that the star he's been built to be, but then there are also a lot of guys who've been part of rough rough stretches um, at Michigan State that I think this you know for these offensive linemen to win up front I think feels good for and I think there are a lot of guys you know Peyton Thorns had to win a position battle I think these receivers uh, you know Jalen Naylor a number of injuries and. Jaden Reed waited, you know, had to sit out a transfer year a couple of years ago. These guys, there are a lot of guys who, um, have, are, I think it's a pretty mature football team at certain places in certain ways. To couple with the transfers where they've added some speed and talent and, and, and guys that make a difference. And you know, I do think that you know, hey, some of these guys were used to that kind of heat too. Let's face it. I mean, yeah. you know, Wake Forest, you know, that's. You know, North Carolina is not exactly a cool state at this time of the year. Tennessee as well, Auburn, Alabama. I mean, Michigan I know Georgia was awful in August too. Yeah. I mean, Michigan was brutal yeah. for a couple of weeks. So I mean, you know, that's they were. You know, I don't. You didn't really necessarily go out and recruit those guys simply for one game, but it certainly helped in this one. And I mean, you can see. I, I think you know with with that, and and I can't think of many programs that have made such a concerted effort to put all those things together as an important and integral part of the the program you know a lot of programs have dabbled in every facet of that whether it be the, the science aspect the nutrition aspect i mean we've heard coaches talk about a lot of those things in part and parcel over uh, you know the better part of the past decade but they but I, I give tucker and his staff a lot of credit for putting an emphasis on that and making it a priority you know, that's almost as much as, as the weight room in the off season. I think that was a, a credit to them. You know, I mean, look yeah. at Deshaun Mallory's a guy that, you know, we, we brought up before the season, just the physical transformation he made. You saw it with Walker and, and some of the photos over the summer, just how physically uh, sculpted he was with his upper body in particular. And you're seeing that pay off now. And, you know, the, I think, you know, with that comes that, that mental component that with when you have the physical element and you're not sitting and dwelling on, you know, like Harris Crouch said, he's like, well, we knew it was going to be hot. You know, you can't really just say, well, it's hot. You don't want to state the obvious, but if you aren't thinking about it, 
now your mind is focused on your roles and your assignments a lot better. Um, and, and quite honestly, when your body's in tune, so is your mind. And, and I think that, you know, the, the deep water quote, which was fantastic from, from Mel Tucker post game about dragging Miami to the deep water with yeah. the details and the discipline. And I, I think you know, when you look into that further and you sort of realize, I think he knew his squad could live there and, and had the discipline and had put in the preparation and I think it was a you know a subtle, very subtle, and I don't even know if intent, but but dig at the opponent in the sense that I'm not sure you're here, I'm not sure you can do this with you know with us, so to speak. And it showed in at, at the end, at the end. I certainly think um, you know that that um, it, it, and obviously there were a couple of plays that made a, a massive difference. But Michigan State was. Uh, the superior team in the fourth quarter. And that wasn't as, as clear throughout the game, to be honest. Like, MSU was was ahead, and they had forced turnovers, and they had had their shares and, and, and but and thrown landed their punches. But it was not clear until the fourth quarter that MSU was the better team. That was not entirely clear. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You, you mentioned, you know, Miami – having success and maybe not being that far behind Michigan's head for three quarters. They had a lot of success, you know, throwing on the sideline. It was a lot of comebacks, a lot of hitch routes and whatnot. That seemed to be the best part where they lived with, with Derek King and their receivers and whether it was, you know, him getting out of the pocket or him even standing in the pocket. But the way they forced those, those two turnovers in the fourth quarter and they took advantage that is taking advantage of the turnovers, is something we have not seen in the, in the past couple years for Michigan state. And they absolutely did that on Saturday. And I think that is maybe as good a sign of anything going forward for maybe what this team can accomplish. I thought the other thing that was critically vital were the in-game adjustments that both Scotty Hazleton and, and Jay Johnson made. I mean, early in the game, it was pretty clear that, that things were going to be tough sledding running the ball. And Johnson starts using more motion to and misdirection to, to freeze Miami's defenders. I mean, because they were aggressive and they were attacking the run. And all of a sudden, you see some things free up for Walker, uh, just simply with little things like running Jalen Naylor in motion and and Jaden Reed and faking a jet sweep just to give them that instant to hit the edge. And on the defensive side, the job I think that they did in in after halftime on on Charleston Rambo, um, particularly Chuck Brantley. I thought Chuck Brantley came out, played a physical game with him, and then once he settled in and and then he gets ejected. Then I thought Ronald Williams and Chester Kimbrough really kind of came on and helped lock down Miami's passing game because up front, I thought their game plan against King was fantastic. And I think they're going to need to use a lot of that similar game plan this week with Martinez to keep him inside the box and don't let him get out and create with his legs. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you bring that up, Chris. I, like, I do think that what they face in this is, is sort of it's been helpful. The, the sort of the way the schedule stacked up and, and the types of quarterbacks they face, you know, you get, you get a taste of it a little bit with, with Youngstown state with a mobile quarterback who's limited as a passer. Then you face Derek King who's probably the best, the best passer of the three quarterbacks. But uh, certainly Martinez is, uh, it was interesting talking to Steven Sipple from the Lincoln journal star about this a little bit. You know, there's a perception of Martinez because we all watch the Illinois game and they had the misfortune of playing in front of everybody in this game that would, and they were missing one of their top receivers, two tight ends. There were a lot of things, key guys, and he played horribly. He airmailed passes that you shouldn't airmail as a veteran quarterback, but he's looked pretty decent in, in recent weeks and he's got some of those guys back and they've got some guys who can cause some problems. And, and, 
I do think, you know, the, the lesson, and, and Mel Tucker talked about this, that yeah, I think it was Mel Tucker talking about it. One of the coaches talked about it, and I think Mel Tucker's the guy who, who we've talked to. So, but the, um, <laughs> the idea that they were, they're going to take away the run and force them to beat them with the pass, and they force them to beat them underneath, like to be patient. And if you're, if you're able to take those 10-yard outs and the things underneath and not get greedy all day long, you're going to move the ball. It was the epitome of a bend but don't break. And, and I, I don't know that um, Nebraska will be able to be disciplined enough not to turn the ball over. Look, Derek King throwing once in the double coverage downfield, and boom, it was a pick by Angelo Gross, right? It, 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 you, you, at some point, as it, Peyton Manning was talking about this on the Monday Night Football broadcast when he does with Eli, you know, it, it, like and how you should defend, how the Lions should have defended Aaron Rodgers. Force, test his discipline. Force him to be patient. Test, you know, that. that and and um, I'm curious to see, because Nebraska has struggled up front. To me, if I were Michigan State, I would not bank on that. I would entirely take away the run, and I would force them to beat you over time in the past because it's worked, and you're not turning the ball over. The big thing MSU is not doing, too, I mean, you know, Peyton Thorne, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. If that continues, and they continue not turning the ball over, this MSU team is good enough to win most of its games and be in every game it plays. And I think the other thing that comes to mind as well, because we, we, we talked about it from the defensive perspective, there were so many new parts. I mean, what, what's been probably the most stable is the, the front four. And why is that? Because they've got pretty much everybody back and added Drew Jordan. So, I mean, you're blending basically one part with a number of guys who are already in the system. What, what we've seen at linebacker with Crouch, I think there have been play, times when he's been out of place, but when I talked to him on Wednesday, I mean, he's starting to settle in and, and the same with Ronald Williams and Kimbrough. And these guys are, you know, now three games in going into their fourth game. Um, they're, they're starting to think less, which is a very difficult thing. I mean, when, when you're a new guy in the defense and you're not just learning the the playbook and, and learning your roles, you, you also got to know the guys around you and you can't, really get a gauge for that until you get those live bullets in game situations of, you know, where is Gross and, and Henderson going to be behind me? How deep do I have to drop as a linebacker in coverage or, or guys on the corners? Where, where's my safety help coming from? I, I think you're starting to see that. And especially in the second half of that game, I think they really started to get things slowed down a little better. Um, and, and in the fourth quarter, I think that's when, when everything comes together like that, you know, you're starting to see a little more pressure. You're starting to see a little better coverage time. And, and, you know, particularly with Crouch, I think you're seeing a lot less thinking. I think you're seeing him play and fly to the ball, which is what Tucker wants. And, and the big thing with Crouch, I think Crouch, and, and I talked to him about this yesterday, but he didn't, he, you know, he's not directly considered a spy, so to speak. You know, when that, you know, you get a, a really dangerous quarterback and, you know, you don't, but he is tremendously helpful in these matchups because he's a dude who can just run with anybody. And these guys aren't going to outrun him to the to the side. There, you know, it's just, um, I, you know, early on, and we saw it in the Northwestern game, especially. He would, you'd see him in the wrong place, and, and that yeah. he's in a position where you got to figure that. But he gets wherever he goes quickly. But these, you know, I, I imagine for some of these quarterbacks, a player like him, when you're trying to get the edge, like we're we're seeing one of the things with uh, Kenneth Walker is how opponents are misjudging his speed as they take angles on the side, like he's just quicker than they, they anticipate. And and I think the problem for 
quarterbacks running with a guy like Crouch is he's quicker than you anticipate the other way. It's like, ah, that trying to get to that edge, trying to, and it's not that you're not going to break a few. And, and Martinez is obviously a very accomplished runner. Um, and, and, and we'll, we'll break a few. I, I think the discipline of MSU last week was one of the more impressive things because defensively, if you're a cornerback, frankly, that's not a lot of fun. It, it, it's gotta be an ego check, you know, to like give that kind of cushion. It says, I can't guard this guy. And you did see it with Kalon Gervon, Kalon Gervin, Gervon, Gervin. Um, the um, uh, fix that in Postville. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the uh, uh, you did see how, you know, he struggled because the key to that then is coming up and making a sure tackle, and where he let some guys get by him. He, he you know, they they went, they they replaced him a little bit in the second half with the freshman, and, and their sure tackling is a key to that. And the safeties MSU has helped. Darius Snow came in and made some great tackles you know they're and they're going to need that now because i think angelo grows out the first half right after the targeting penalty so no that uh, wasn't him that was brantley oh it was brantley on the targeting yeah there was no targeting the one on gross was overruled as that's right that's right so brantley's out the first half so correct so so that you know that'll that'll affect them a little bit too but um i better him i think than gross because i think gross is a really 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 important piece and 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 those safeties are this i think the safeties are the strength of that defense to me yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And Snow just adds a, another level to it because it allows them to. Because I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, even though he's a nickelback, I mean that's kind of that's Michael Dowell's trait. Yeah. So you basically have essentially at any time three safeties on the field with with Dowell and Snow rotating at that nickel spot. So it it gives you cerebral players out there as well as guys that are really good downhill tacklers. One thing I do think is interesting to notice, Graham, you, you always talk about the bend but don't break of MSU's defense. Well, their pass defense, I believe, is 104th nationally at this point. So they, they are susceptible to giving up passing yards. So it'd be interesting if that's something Nebraska can exploit. But going back to Michigan State's defense in the front four, they did a really good job of if someone was rushing, they would not allow De'Eric King to step up in the pocket. and Yeah. I don't. That's something that it's hard to teach. It's hard to do, you know, on a on a game to game basis. Well, they've got veterans there. Yeah. They may not yes. have guys who are, you know, especially on the edge. They they may not have guys who are just you know NFL, you know, first round pick guys off the edge. But they've got guys who are and, and not to steal Mel Tucker. I, relentless is too strong because they're not. I mean, they're but they are in a sense plucky. They're they're they they do not give in and you saw that at the end of the game and if you just they don't quit and, and eventually you get the big play by Beasley with Panachute getting the fumble and um that you know that that sort of stuff if 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 you just keep at it and keep at it and those guys do and they're good enough and their technique they've been around long enough they're going to make some big plays and that that's look all the fumbles that came about last week were forced fumbles i mean it was not Michigan State had to make a play to make those fumbles happen and that's not just running into a mistake-prone team. That's that's you doing it. And I think that at a certain point becomes a trait of your defense. Well, and I think the other thing, too, is you've got older guys that are cerebral and understand their roles and staying in their pass rush lanes, maintaining their gaps on, on run plays to the edge as well. I mean, you can't discount that. I mean, even though you might not get home as much um, on straight sacks like that you did with Beasley it eventually will come if you do and you know kind of what you said is you you know maintain the process right I mean Tucker talks about that a lot that's part of that process is 
knowing your job and maintaining what you need to do and not trying to overdo it sometimes. One thing I, I do want to note is that De'Ara King did injure his shoulder at, at some point in the game. I can't remember which hit specifically it was. Yeah, and he is. So that might have affected things as well. And he is out, I believe he's out for this weekend for, for the Hurricanes. So. They put a hurt on him in that second half. I mean, there were a couple drives into the turf you know, on the sideline. Um, I, I can remember one that he came off holding his shoulder. And, you know, give the kid credit because I thought he gutted his way through that. But you could see down the stretch as they were trying to, to – creep back in that his passes started to lose a lot of velocity i mean it was very connor cook like against maryland where it was pretty evident that that this guy's arm was hurting and he he gutted his way through it you know to what extent that played a factor in the injury i don't know but i mean i think you know that that's a result of that that ability to just wear down an offensive line get to a quarterback and wear down that quarterback michigan state and peyton thorne and kenneth walker of course have been hot for the Spartans so far this year, you know, Peyton's got the nine touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, no fun, no turnovers from Kenneth Walker. I think the only two turnovers uh, for the Spartans this year were both fumbles by backups in games that were already over. I think the Russo fumble near the goal line, if I remember correctly, and then that uh, was Youngstown State, and then Harold Joyner late in the Northwestern game. I think that's it. If you can correct me if I've, I've forgotten one, but uh, I think that's right. Uh, yeah, no, was there, there there were none in this game, right? Yeah. There right, were right. so so yeah the the Russo and the, the Joyner one after the games were out of out of hand by guys who are backups and aren't yeah. really part of yeah. the you know the regular routine you know what's interesting is you bring that up and one of the things i thought with thorn that was very important and will be important this week cuz i think nebraska up front i think i think nebraska's defense is pretty good and i, I think it's a little i think it's even a step up from miami's to be honest and and uh, i thorn had not had a situation this year where he had been he had faced pressure and he had faced guys in his face making decisions, taking care of them in big situations, making decisions when the game is on the line. All those things he did really well. And, you know, I think the, the as Chris talked about earlier, the, the offensive play changes to let the aggression of Miami work against them with more screens and, 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 and uh, you know, swing passes and things of that nature was, was really helpful. Um, but, and, and, and also in, in the early stages of that, using uh, Tyler Hunt and Connor Hayward and really using your secondary targets, guys that, that maybe aren't as big a part of the scouting report that the defense is trying to take away. But Thorne made some passes. And, and, you know, anybody who's followed Michigan State long enough, is you go back to the Andrew Maxwell era, there is a talent to the short pass, to making it catchable and to keeping it on target and, you know, and not being careless when there's traffic not far away. And I thought Thorne made good reads and good decisions, good throws for the most part under pressure. And even the one ball that probably should have been picked off, you go back and look at it, was clearly a miscommunication with Naylor. I'm not sure if it was Thorne's fault. Um, and, you know, Naylor kind of stops and Thorne throws to that spot. And so it wasn't even like just this errant throw. It was just those two were on the same page. And with that, I mean, you know, what you said along with what I said earlier about Jay Johnson – doing some things to mix mix it up against Miami. I thought the middle screen to the tight end was fantastic. I mean, you know, using Connor Hayward in that respect, um, the way they disguised that middle screen twice, I think they used it, and it went, you know, 10, 15 yards a pop. Um, that's going to become a weapon, and that's something that you don't see quite often. I mean, I remember, you know, the shovel. You remember the, the, the uh, Dave Warner shovel pass to the tight end? That, that's 
that was one thing, but this is different. This was, this was a well-disguised H back screen that, you know, that's, that, that becomes a weapon now. Um, and that's, and you know, cause you usually don't have a guy like a Connor Hayward playing an H back position. It's usually a Max Rosenthal or a, a Trevin Pendleton type that's solely in there for their blocking. So that's just a, a different layer to this offense to have a guy in that position that can make plays when you have what basically five six guys out there at a time you know you have to account for all of them now instead of worrying just one guy's a blocker i mean yeah pendleton and, and rosenthal made some plays in in situations when no one thought they were going to make plays but now you know, that's not game plan stuff that's stuff that that you sneak it in this is something that, that can be run at any time and it keeps the defense off balance. I think right now, if you're a defensive coordinator, MSU is a bit of a nightmare, um, which is amazing to think that given the offense that we've just watched from MSU over the last five years, um, because first of all, a lot of it begins with Kenneth Walker and that offensive line. You you have to plan for those guys. You have to, you have to like the, 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 the play action uh, pass on the, the or the, sorry, the, the flea flicker to open Youngstown state. Yeah. I mean, you had, there was no hope of preventing that because Walker just rushed for 264 yards. Like what do you not think they're going to run the ball with him? And, and you're not going to respect that. I think the problem becomes is the passing game and those two wideouts, especially, and, and obviously they have some really good veteran complimentary pieces who are, can be problems uh, and, and Hayward and even hunt. And I thought hunt played, played well to a one drop, but he was in the drop. Yeah. Yeah. He, but the, um, is that Reed and Naylor have reached a point in their careers where they really need to be your focus, and and so if if you can't, if you you know if you have to you know it used to be well Michigan State can't run the ball anyway, we can take away these guys or they don't have enough receivers to get separation anyway. We can totally take away the run. At this point, I, I don't know you know I, I mean I, I don't know what I would do to be honest. Is is you know do you play them straight up? I think pressure really to me. Even though they countered it well, when you've got a fairly young quarterback, um, would still be what I was trying to what I would try and do. I would try to disrupt Thorne and and and, and rattle him. But he looks is a guy who you know he looked completely in control even when things didn't go well. And and I think that's a real trait to him. And you start to see Chris. What's funny is we talked about all fall these these position battles. Something tells me that Peyton Thorne and Kenneth Walker were the starters earlier than we maybe realized it. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But I tell you what, you know, everything you just said, it just, you know, it makes you come back to even in this era of how much the forward pass, I love calling it the forward passes if, you know, backward laterals matter at this point. Uh, like in basketball, you got to score the basketball yeah. instead of just score. Right. <laughs> I mean, but you know, even in this era of, of, you know, prolific passing, we'll go that route. Um, if you can't run the ball, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I, I watch it with the Steelers every week. Um, you know, your best weapon to get that passing game going is having a, a a competent run game. And, you know, it has to be somewhat of a weapon however you use it. And I think that's the biggest difference that we're seeing maybe from the last few years. You know, you're seeing a healthy offensive line. You're seeing them rotate specific guys here and there. But mostly sticking with a, a, a pretty good nucleus uh, of the uh, the guys up front that they run with. And, you know, that I think has has really allowed Naylor and, and Reed to, to, to get downfield and to make some plays. And, 
you know, let's face it. I, I'll tell you what. I, I, the one thing I see with with Trey Mosley as well, because we, you know, talking about those position battles. Um, I know Foster was talked about a lot. Lockett, they really like uh, some of the other guys. Keon Coleman is another one that they've talked about. But Mosley looks like a really good number three. That reminds me a little bit of of, B, of BJ Cunningham, just with his size, how he catches, and particularly all three of those receivers. Probably since that that Cunningham Dell nickel era, uh, these are the best blocking receivers they have. They've had since then. And that has really, I mean, when you see Walker get to the outside, watch the receivers blocking downfield because that has sprung him for at least five to 10 yards sometimes on a couple carries. And that, that you know, Mosley had a really nice block on the third and six run from Peyton Thorne. And Thorne, Thorne would have gotten the six yards without the block. So they would have gotten the first down. But a lot of those 22 yards after the, the remaining 16 yards were on that block, which then set up. The, the the three plays that led to the fourth and one and the 39 yard you know whereas if it's fourth and one and you're further back you're not going for it you know yeah. and and so I, those are all little things that, that are being done and, and I agree like one of the things when people talk about this being the beginning of something with MSU though there's an argument that next year there could be some real challenges because some of these this is an older offensive line um you know the, the Walker is a guy who's looks like he's going to be in the NFL draft next year. Um, you know, one of these receivers uh, certainly may may have an opportunity uh, to, to go, um, and, and you know, and obviously a guy like Xavier Henderson. And, and I'm not questioning the ability of Tucker to turn over a roster. At this point, I would never do that because he's done something pretty significant in, in short order here. Um, but I think there are guys who are rising up as sort of the underlings who are seeing it done. You know, and and obviously Jordan Simmons and Elijah Collins, I think, will still be a formidable backfield, you know, and whatever else they bring in. I think, um, you know, Trey Mosley is a guy who at some point looks like he will be a guy you can feature a little more. And, and I think these are all really – and obviously I think Malik Carr is a guy who's going to develop an old prototypical dude at tight end. So the team may be a little different. But I, I think, you know, th- th- there's some real promising signs and some guys who aren't the featured guys who are younger who I think are going to be key players going forward. That I, you know, I can't say enough about what Connor Hayward's done because I mean, we talked to him again this week, and you know, there's a lot of selflessness that goes into the position shift that he made. Even though I think it's it maximizes his his potentials as a weapon in the passing game and as a blocker, um, but not just that, not just the selflessness, but how quickly it that he has adapted to it because he said that it really happened the third week of camp. The move he said kind of had an idea that it might happen, but that he met with with William Piegler, the running backs coach, and Ted Gilmore, the tight ends coach, one day in camp, and they basically said, we're going to let you go from the running back room, you know, and and go there. And he, his transition to that position has been seamless. You can tell that he put a lot uh, of work into it beforehand anticipating it, um, but anticipating and being able to make that transition as quickly as he has uh, is not an easy thing to do. So he gets a lot of credit for that because I think that really maximizes – him as a weapon and it really at some point you know you know does that end up turning into a, a draft status i don't know because you know he's still he, he's kind of draymond greenish in a way right because he doesn't necessarily have the traditional fit in a box position to what co- what football is right now but you can see that he's a football player who can make plays yeah at some point i'm going to write the column about 
Connor Hayward as Kenny Goins. Uh, because yeah. I don't know that I have ever seen a uh, since. Well, I shouldn't say ever because I just saw it with Kenny Goins, but uh, certainly with <laughs> MSU football, a guy who's you know early on people were interested. He's you know Ironhead's kid. He looked good in the spring game, and and it's just sort of like Kenny early on. It was like he was a walk on who energy guy, 10, 15 minutes off the bench. Okay, that's that's fun. He, he contributor. We like that guy. Then he starts at center, and these people are scoring over him. And it doesn't work, and everybody hates him, and they blame him. And it was he was out of position, and it was really unfair to him. But nobody, people groaned when he was on the court. They wanted more Nick Ford. Nobody wanted Connor Hayward at running back, right? And and, and to be fair, he wasn't dynamic. He missed some holes. He wasn't a dynamic. He was an okay running back. I think he, if he had, you know, I think if he was back there with this line, he would have looked a lot better, obviously, than he, he got to with the lines he played with. But late in his career. I think he is starting to be very much appreciated as Kenny Goins was. Now, will he hit the shot against Duke? You know, if he catches a you know a forty-nine yard screen pass against Michigan in the final two minutes, he's Kenny Goins. And uh, but but until that, but, You're but rewriting this column already for that game, uh, right? It's 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 it's, 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 it's X, X, X for the, put five X's for what what the yardage actually is. And yeah. <laughs> Nobody listening is allowed to claim that. That is copyrighted. <laughs> And all of that. Embargoed. Yes, exactly. Uh, I'm going to cu- get a couple shots up here. I think we I think we might have mentioned this 10 minutes ago, but <laughs> Graham, you talked about the, uh, you know, preparing for Michigan State and, and their offense. They even, but no one mentioned they bust out the Wildcat uh, against Miami as well. Which never works. Yeah. That's how and, good and, who, and why did it work? Because they lined up Connor Hayward in the backfield at running back, and he was the lead blocker. And you watch that, and he delivered in that whole – as big a block as you'll see. And I mean, I think that was the one that kind of stunned him for a minute when he, when he delivered it. But I mean, Walker, it was it fourth and one. And I think Walker picked up like six or seven. Yeah. And the second thing, going back to something Chris said about, you know, running the shovel pass to the tight end. And there is an art to it because the Colts tried to run the same play on the goal line on Sunday and Carson Wentz got his shovel pass intercepted. So mm-hmm. uh, there is a degree of difficulty to, to that. You know, not all shovel passes are, are easy scores there. So. It is. I mean, you've got think about the congestion. That's where yeah. everybody in the middle of that line is trying to get into the backfield, and you got to try and make that pass with you know eight to ten guys standing right there. I mean, between both teams, that's a that that does take some skill, and and you know credit Thorn for that as much as Hayward for for that, but also the the line and disguising it. And I mean, there's so much that goes into a play like that, uh, in particular that you don't necessarily see until you watch it back maybe break it down and slow it down a little bit something i'll be interested as well you know obviously nebraska's defense last week did a pretty good job containing spencer rattler who like Derek king is a heisman candidate probably even higher up the heisman list than king was and uh, is that a is that just a you know a solo effort a a situation where they were focused and ready for for rattler's talent and, and oklahoma being third ranked as well and and maybe it's just a game where they were just up for it and maybe there's a, maybe a potential letdown for the Nebraska defense against Michigan State, or do we think Nebraska's defense is for real and could actually cause some problems here for the Spartans and the offense and, and what they want to do? I, I think Nebraska's defense is pretty good and, and could cause some problems. Now, because I, th- I think this will be even a greater test in running the football, um, the, the thing is, I, you know, I'm just trusting what I've seen. I mean, Michigan State looks like an offense that can get something against just about anybody. And I'm not saying anybody, you know, Alabama. Obviously, Alabama can make anybody look bad. But I'm saying anybody that's on their schedule. Ohio State's defense has not been amazing this year. And um, I, 
you know, I, I'm waiting to see a D. De- I don't know if there's a defense that can take away Kenneth Walker and the left side of that offensive line and Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor and what they're doing entirely. So I, do I think they can cause some problems? Yeah, I think this is the best defense they've faced. Um, and Michigan State struggled at times against Miami's defense. But I, I – um, you know, I, right now, I think MSU's offense controls its own fate more than I, you know, thought was it would happen before the season. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, it's that it, that was an impressive performance. I, I thought, particularly with what happened against Illinois, I think they've kind of, from a defensive standpoint, recovered a little bit because that was that's not a great Illinois team that they lost to. So, well, there were a lot of turnovers in that game too from the right. offense. Help, right, right, exactly, and you know that's that's where everything kind of. You know, when when Mel Tucker will say the the phrase complimentary football, I mean, it's, you know, what you're off. And, you know, Michigan State's seen that over the, the years, too. You remember how good the 2017 defense was, how good it was in 2018, and they still got put in bad positions by the offense. And then come 2019, it started to dissolve a little bit because they continued to be put in bad positions. And it, you know, it will wear on you. You can only do that so much. So, you know, you got to give Scott Frost and his staff credit for keeping them progressing after that Illinois game because it really could have gone the other way. And it's still a two and two football team, right? I mean, yeah. this is, you know, that's, and, and, you know, that's, you know, you look at the two losses they have. I mean, you know, one's a conference loss to a really bad team and one's an out of conference loss to a really good team they tried to dodge. So, you know, I mean, it, an old rival too that people want to rival. measure themselves against. Yeah. You know, so, the is, um, Steve Sippel, and I apologize for my neighbor's dog. Uh, Hickama is a very sweet dog, but she does not like um, when other dogs walk by. So that is, that is what's happened here. If you're hearing that, Steve Sippel from the from the Lincoln Journal Star, he he wrote and, and said that this is the biggest game of Scott Frost's tenure because it it really is a game, and that's interesting. And first of all, it, it says where MSU is that that could be that, but also that it's a season in year four that could go a couple different ways, and. You know, and, and so this is, you know, we talk about how early things have happened for Tucker. This is year four for Frost. And if you lose to Michigan State and the, the, the schedule uh, after next week gets tougher for them, you know, a, a bowl game looks very difficult. And and you win this game, though. And North, they've got Northwestern at home next week, who's, you know, obviously not not that great this year. You know, there's a chance to, to get to four and two. And exhale a little bit and, and feel a little bit better about yourself. And so I, I think this for them is 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 everything. Yeah, I, I mean, to this point, I think there's going to be bigger games for them later in the season. But you're right. It's a it's a pivot point for them. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't want to go back into West Division competition with a loss if you're Nebraska and then, you know, have that kind of weighing on you and and if you then lose to northwestern now you're out of the race right Right. i mean because the west division is pretty wide open so you know and you know you've got to travel to minnesota and wisconsin that back half of the schedule and finish at iowa and you still got michigan purdue and ohio state so i mean you know it's, it's kind of similar to how i thought michigan state's schedule might play out um if they didn't get the Miami game and now it's obviously a lot different when you start saying three and oh and right. you know potentially four and oh this week, potentially five and oh with Western Kentucky going to Rutgers after that, with which I, I still think is gonna be a, a challenge with those the the Rutgers and Indiana games in particular, just 
you know, I think Rutgers is better than they've been. And I think we saw that last year when they played Michigan State. But um, from from Nebraska's perspective, you're right. This is a swing point. You know, yeah. how how is the next few weeks going to play out? This moment is right there for them. So if, if Michigan State loses to Rutgers and in Indiana, by the way, they should drop the woodshed line because Rutgers and Indiana, that's on the road. I know. On the, road. the thing is, the woodshed stems from they keep talking about that 99 year that went six and zero at home. That year, that team had two horrible games uh, where they lost like 40 to 10 to Wisconsin and got drilled by Breeze and Purdue back to back weeks. To me, those are the potential Purdue and Wisconsin games of that year in this MSU season. It's the Rutgers Indiana back to back, and and if they lose somehow both those games, the Woodshed's got to go because they adopted the same personality as a team that stunk on the road. And uh, the, the woodshed was the wrong the wrong way to, to do it. Give me thirty seconds to look that up, Phil. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Well, the, while you were looking that up, I will uh, I will mention that I thought it was interesting going along with the woodshed thing. Tucker in Tuesday's press conference mentioning you know they only asked for twenty five hundred tickets and they will have nobody no other more than that. And uh, I was talking to somebody from from Nebraska and they said that that kind of stemmed from his year at Colorado when uh, they hosted Nebraska and like the stadium was like half full of Cornhusker fans. And I think he was trying to do his part there to, to stem that from, uh, from happening here Saturday. The problem with that is, is you you, you can, I mean, I I remember the first game of Nick Nick Saban era when it was like 25% red and, and, you know, the problem you have this year in preventing Nebraska fans, number one, I don't know how much there is a buzz, how much people want to travel in Nebraska right now. But it's also this entire year in college football, even when stadiums are full, is the easiest ticket anybody will ever get. I was talking to a, a friend last week, you know, who is doing something where he goes to like all 100. He wants to see all 130 teams play as a bucket list thing in his life. Uh, and not all at home, but just wants to see all of them. That's, he, that's, a, busy, that's a busy uh, three months. If he's going to try and jam it all in this year. Well, not this year. Not this year. But he's oh. trying to get a few in this year. But he was just saying some of the places he's going this year, easiest ticket of his life. Like ILC, easy, inexpensive, secondary market. So the problem is you may fill the stadium, but the secondary market is cheap because of the pandemic and people, a lot of people not being sure. You're not getting the, the home game with a three, $400 ticket. You're not getting the home game where people just aren't willing to part with it. Um, and so, like, I don't know if Wisconsin or Nebraska fans want to travel, but I, I, so I, I think you're forgetting last summer. I think you're forgetting how Big Ten football got restarted last summer. That's true, and so it, I don't think Tucker can blame MSU fans because this is just a year where that's if you want to travel, this is a great year to to, to find an easy ticket. There will be a lot of red in road games for both Ohio State and Nebraska because of that reason. I mean, that's you know, let's face it; those are the two that really kickstarted the the revival of football last year. But you know, and let's face it; I mean, and I did go back and look. By the way, those were both road games at Purdue and at Wisconsin in '99. Um, but that means Michigan State took care of business at home. But but you don't want to emulate. You don't want to be. Our goal is to be a crappy road team. That was a team. Well, that I don't think it's a crappy road team. I mean, you know, you lost to Drew Brees for for goodness' sake. You lost the to, to Wisconsin. Was was that Dane's year or was that year after Dane? I, I can't remember. Ninety nine. Year after Dane, I think. So uh, I mean, they yeah. still had. I mean, it's still Wisconsin. Well, they know? still had Dane because Dane played four years. That's, that's a tough place to play, no, regardless of, of the 40 person. to 10, though. Team with seven NFL draft picks lost like 40 to 10. So, but here's the other thing that to what's interesting. 
I just, by the way, I, I just don't love the woodshed, and that's why I know. I don't. I don't that's why <laughs> okay. I'm giving it three because I don't like a nickname that's been in the house for 20 years being pushed as a branding thing, and 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 uh, and especially when you had something original like Deep Water, like make it the, make it something your own. I don't know. I, it's, it's, I mean that that works for South Florida. I mean, I, I, if well, you didn't think cool. about Jaws at that moment, I don't know. I mean, I was, I, I my my aunt Manny Diaz needed a bigger boat. <laughs> but the red cedar does uh, flood pretty easily, so maybe you can work that in. Mm, that's that's Sorry, fair. Um, you know, I, I do think what's interesting though about the, that Rutgers game and that Indiana game, in particular, um, looking out ahead a little bit, is that both of Michigan State's road games this year have had really strong fan turnouts. I mean, the the Northwestern game was essentially a a, a coin flip for a home game, and you know, by all accounts. There was a large contingent and a vocal contingent of Michigan State people. Again, probably partly because, you know, Florida isn't exactly um, COVID free right now. And, you know, that's it's tough to fill an NFL stadium, no matter who, whether you're Miami or Pitt or any of those teams that play in a stadium like that. Um, so Michigan State people, it was a destination like we talked about earlier. But but Rutgers and Indiana aren't exactly destination games. And. You know, not only if I'm Mel Tucker, am I saying to what he did on Wednesday night and put out a video is that we want we need to get fans in here. We need to make sure this is our home stadium, make sure that we stripe the stadium, all the things that he's talking about with that to to give Michigan State a home field edge and not have Nebraska fans come in and take it over. But also, you know, in the coming weeks, he's going to have to put that call out to to Michigan State fans in Indiana and in on the eastern seaboard to do the same thing, because if you're able to to have that, you, you see already how much even just a, a, a good sized contingent can play a factor once you start, once you build a lead and, and you start to try and pull away. I also think that I think Tucker is burning with confidence right now. I think he's got the team oh, yeah. that, that he thinks he has. It's sort of similar to, you know, how D'Antonio kind of thought he had the team in 2018, obviously that, you know, then I've turned to be the case, but uh, Tucker, I think, fully believes that this team has something special in it now, especially after seeing what's played out so far. Well, and I think that this, let's face it, this call that he did on social media um, and using social media to kind of kind of drum up the energy and intensity of the fan base, um, what he's calling for isn't anything different than what Mark D'Antonio called for. A lot. A lot when they were really good. The, remember the Nebraska game? What year was it that they that the the it was super cold and late night and half the stadium left and Nebraska nearly came back? Um, there there was that moment after that where he tried to to make a call to the fan base to to get them back on the into the stands and and give them some support and you know eventually when you get to the Maryland game his last home game um, you know terrible opponent terrible weather. Not many people in the stands. So when I tweeted this last night about this being Tucker trying to affect culture change. That's a culture change. It's not just internal to the program, but it's within the fan base to try and say, hey, you need to be in the seats from start to finish. And, you know, like an SEC program does, you know, got, people don't necessarily leave until their team is way up or way down. Um, you don't necessarily see that at Michigan State. and You haven't seen that. For the 25 years I've been around, it's it's kind of like a Dodgers game. Sometimes it's like a late arriving crowd and an early leaving crowd. But the other thing you can it, it'd be interesting to see your Michigan State just once tell their television partners we're not doing a 
second straight night game. We got too many people coming too far. It would be interesting to hear Michigan State tell their television partners anything. Yeah, or well, any it's, it's, college football program. That's not just Jermaine to Michigan yeah, State. Yeah, no, no, that's not an MSU thing. That's but that North would be Western, my... Northwestern should have probably had a little bit more input with that and saying, you know what, eight o'clock on a on a on a Friday night in in Chicago is not exactly a great thing for us here. That's why I couldn't be an AD. I'd be like, go to hell. We're not doing it. We're not <laughs> doing it two weeks in a row. We had this Western Kentucky thing set up as our night game situation. You know, I would go to hell. Um, but that—that's my own. Um, yes, as well. Again, why you never hire me is 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 AD. I, I do think, you know, I, if you're going to spend as much money as they spent on, like I, I was when I covered Western Michigan. I lived in in Kalamazoo. And, uh, I know some people play a drinking game. Yep. Um, the uh, one of the things they had a huge problem with is the stu- they gave the student section right the whole one side of the field at, at Waldo Stadium. And students used to just walk to the bar at halftime. It didn't matter the score. It could be 30 to 30 in an epic game. They filed out and they went to the bar at halftime. It was like, what is that? And they they worked on changing that. And they had a brief period. And I went over to a story on it because all of a sudden the students weren't leaving like two or three years in. And I talked to a senior who was like, yeah, I want to go. I'm trying to get my group to go. The freshmen and sophomores weren't leaving. They had gotten to the dorms. They had gotten to the new kids coming in and said, this is what we need from you. And I, I, you know, the student section is a big part of that. Don't you see how much space they have, how big the ticket sales were? I've always said this at a school that spends as much money on football as Michigan State, there's a really easy solution. You give away tuition in the fourth quarter, but you've got to be there. You give away one tuition. And if your name is called and you're not there, everybody knows it, probably including your parents that are paying your tuition. Like you give away one free tuition every home game. In the fourth quarter, very few students are leaving that place because just the shame of explaining to your mom and dad that I know I need another semester paid for. I know you're paying for my dorms. Yes, my car too. All that stuff. Yes, yes, I know I'm privileged as heck. And you could have had all this for free. Like that, that is the play to me. Uh, my memory is a little fuzzy on this, but what about what time does Michigan State hit the field for pregame warm-ups? Because Tucker also asked that the fans, uh, the student section, be there for pregame warm-ups. And I think that's that might be a little bigger uh, ask. Maybe about two hours beforehand, um, somewhere in there, an hour and a half beforehand, I think, is, is when it is. Be, uh, yeah. I think 90 minutes out um, is, is where it is from kickoff. So, I mean, Ooh. you know, it's it's going to be a long day. Um, those <laughs> Those night games always tend to be a long day. Um, particularly if students start pre-gaming like a normal game at 6 a.m. or carry over the previous night, whatever it is. So, um, but a seven o'clock kickoff, I mean, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, the one benefit versus that game that, that they played against Nebraska, um, I want to say it was 2014, but I could be wrong about that. The, the one where the fans all left and they nearly lost on a punt return and then they had a punt return for a touchdown and then um, the game they did lose was 12 right so 12 was the game they blew late where they had the lead i believe this was that the one that was at nebraska you know that was that was home too because i think it was it was 14 and then uh, 12 and then 14 because i I still remember their quest like in a squatting position just uh, and and, you know just frustrated in the end zone at the end but i think you're right in 14 because i always remember it based on our deadlines at the LSJ and what we were able to get in yep. print and not end up uh, 27-22 even though the game was in hand midway through the fourth quarter right this was the first time I had filed a column based on our deadline with the game not over and the column tone we had to I mean I remember 
telling him the my editor abort abort like we had to, I, that was the closest we had to come to like stop presses we had to pull stuff because even though they won the game it there was just a tone uh, the stories that were filed pre that collapse or whatever that comeback were just weren't the story anymore we're, we're kind of tone deaf before we get on to prediction sarah let's talk a little michigan state basketball for a couple minutes here and earlier this week they landed the commitment of a four-star power forward by the name of jackson kohler from utah he's a 6'9 250 uh very good very good size they're kind of what you want in your power forward graham uh what are your kind of thoughts on, on kohler and his commitment and what he can bring to the spartans yeah well i mean it, it's a good pledge i always say um i know he says he's a thousand percent committed but I'll, you know, i always believe it when i see it no i'm kidding um to some degree uh yeah no i, I think it's a you know he, he's a guy who i think is going to be a very good offensive player in the big 10 he's got um incredible footwork a uh, very skilled player, um, three or four year guy, probably four year guy, six nine center, right? And um, so those guys are, I think, great recruits. You know, you, you talk about what what's the better recruit? Is it Cassius Winston or is it Miles Bridges? And you can argue Miles Bridges for certain reasons, but what I mean is, uh, or Xavier Tillman or Jaron Jackson. You know, like guys who give you years and play in really consequential games are sometimes more important. Now, and, and I do think he is a true as a post guy will give people problems eventually in the big 10. Cause he just has some gifts there. Um, that said, Tom Izzo often garners worth based on defensive ability. And I'm not a hundred percent sure yet how good he'll be defensively or what, who he'll defend. You know, a guy like Thomas Kithier made himself a valuable defender in certain matchups because he was very savvy, but there were other matchups where he got bullied. And so I, I think the, the defense is the real question. Uh, and, um, but I think it's a it's a good signing. He was rising very fast. Some other big programs had a lot of interest in him late, and um, so it's it, it's a good get for that class. Pretty much echoing what Graham said, I've seen him called Baby Jokic, which I think is you know that's a heck of a stretch right there. You never want to have you never want to be Harold Miner and and have that baby yes. Jordan tag, right? Um, so, I, but I mean, this is an area in need. I mean, especially you know. Given what happened over the course of the, the summer and, and all the way back to last spring, and losing the two big guys uh, in Bates and Boyake, um, you know you needed to get well done. Thank you. You needed to get um, a high quality guy, and you know it, which ultimately wouldn't have mattered anyway, since they both reclassified uh, uh, into twenty twenty one. You know, which of course. Michigan State has two open scholarships this year, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, it, you would have still had to add to that class anyways. And I think that, you know, this is a kid that's going to be there for a couple years. And, you know, what can you expect right away? That's a big question. But, you know, that's that's and that's ultimately what Tom Izzo's model has been, though, is develop those big guys. And he's talked a lot about that um, over the course of the last few months of the process that it, it takes to be a three, four year guy to develop. So I think that's what we're going to see here with, with Kohler is you're going to see a guy that's, that's going to develop as he progresses um, and, and continue, you know, they hope continue to get better from, from day one until he, when he does leave. So what's going to be interesting is I think he's a guy who eventually have an outside shot too. I mean, he's got a little bit of it now mid range. I think he'll be a really accomplished offensive player. And what, what's going to happen early, I think, you saw this. I mean, Kithier came in and he finished really well around the rim. He was better than they thought as a backup when pressed early in his career. But I think what you're going to see with, with uh, Jackson Kohler is different in the sense that 
he'll be a guy fans want to see on the court because offensively he's going to do some things that they really like. And the other parts of his game will keep on. I think there will be times where people want to see more of him uh, because of some of the skill set he has. Yeah, I, I think he's a better offensive player than than Kithier. I thought Kithier was more of a he, he when when you say he finished around the basket, a lot of that was garbage, you know. And he was an ultimate garbage guy and collecting stuff with, with missed box outs and and right, but but he he wouldn't, you wouldn't put him one on one and say go score in the post. Right, but he wasn't Antonio Smith like collecting offensive rebounds on his own missed layups is what I mean. Like he, he had a he had a touch around, but yeah, you're right. No, totally different, totally different dude. All right, well, let's move on to our final segment, which is predictions for Saturday night's game against Nebraska. The last time these two teams played, which was back in 2018, it's a 9-6 slobber knocker in the Lincoln with Nebraska pulling out the win. Why don't you just bring up the Red Box Bowl if you're going to remind me of all these things? <laughs> I, I'm trying, I've been trying to forget that game for a long time. You, you know what I remember? From a, just from an aesthetic standpoint. I got I got I to gotta find this screen grab because I still have it. The, um, the best was that... The way the snow came in, yep. the talking Spartans that we did with Sean Windsor, I think that day it was the three of us. I want to say at the, I don't even know if Sean was oh, there. I think it might be just you and me. It was just the two of us. That's right. And the the snow is just, and the, the misery that it looks like. <laughs> just the talking Spartans paints the picture of the game as well as any talking Spartans video we've ever done because the weather continued to get worse. And by the time was, we shot that video, it was it, right when we started shooting too that yeah, it went yeah. like that. Because by the time we got back upstairs and started writing on deadline, the field was covered with snow. I mean, yeah. it was it was amazing. I, and I guess I had forgotten how the how the Great Plains are after over a decade of being away from it. But that's how quick a, a storm can come through and 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 change your day from being eh to ugh. <laughs> uh, I also remember that trip. Is I had an Uber driver. Uh, no offense to you, Phil. Um, who. It was like 4,000 uh, degrees in the Uber. I couldn't get him to, like, and it was two degrees outside. And, and I remember getting out of the Uber and, like, just, like, escaping out of my coat and everything and walking into the stadium in, like, a T-shirt, just like, ah. Um, it was it was, it was was absolute misery. The only guy sweating walking into the stadium after a 4,000-degree <laughs> Uber ride. I will say that was the one time where I had an, a rental car upgrade that – it was an upgrade to, I believe, some sort of Jeep product. And the drive back after the game from Lincoln to Omaha was terrible. So thank you, rental car company that I won't mention for that upgrade because <laughs> that probably saved me from sliding into a ditch. Also, travel tip for anybody listening. In Omaha, sometimes the best way to fly in price-wise. But the best airport in America Lincoln, Nebraska, if you can do it, uh, because the, the the gate is so close to a, you. You can show up five minutes before your flight, go through security, and be three minutes early. It is it yeah. is the best yeah. place in yeah. the world. It's it's outstanding. That's very Lansing like in terms of efficiency and, and getting. It's even very better Lansing. than Lansing because the, the, you you're literally you walk through the the security like into the only one of only two gates that exist. All right, Chris, your prediction for Saturday. Why'd you come to me first? I want to sit back and think about. Can I? Can I say nine to six? Can I say seven yes. to six? All right, hold that thought, Graham. Your prediction for Saturday? I think it's going to be competitive, um, but you have to trust your eyes at this point. Nebraska struggled to run the football. Um, I, they've they they haven't been as good as Michigan State. I think they're going to do some things that 
people are surprised to work against MSU in the passing game a little bit because they've been better than people recall from the Illinois game. Um, but ultimately, MSU has, if MSU plays with focus and discipline and does not turn the ball over, I think this is going to be like a um, 31 to 21 win for MSU. All right, Chris, now make your 9-6 prediction. Well, <laughs> considering that I already wrote it down in my, my file that it's 31 to 20, wow. um, that makes me feel really bad. I had to look over and, and check. But I, I think that – I think w- watch out for the Torre kid because I do think that he is a weapon. And he's a kid that was a division – you know, an FCS All-American at Montana and made the jump. Um has talent, I think, just t- took some time to get adjusted to the speed of the game and everything. Um, and I do think that Martinez, is he better than um, Derek King? I don't think so. Um, but I think he's a little more cerebral and has faced been in these situations before. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him break free and get a few bigger runs than than King did. But I I do think that... The bend but don't break it is a really hard thing to to teach, but this this group has that mindset. So I, I guess I'll stick with thirty one twenty. I think I'm with you guys on on the Spartans to win and cover. Uh, I will take twenty eight twenty one in favor of the Spartans. All right. Any final thoughts before we sign off here this week? I really hope this isn't like the Red Box Bowl or that last Nebraska game in Lincoln. I really do. I think I think for those who who care about the the Vegas spread, they're going to sweat this. I mean, Michigan State has been on the you know the, the Vegas has been on the wrong had the wrong underdog the last couple times. I mean, she's been an underdog this year, and you can kind of see it coming in certain ways. Uh, I think I think this is going to be a sweat for people who are on Michigan State, and even even if they cover, and so I would not uh, bet the mortgage, so to speak. Yeah, one more thing about the Red Box Bowl: seeing what Justin Herbert's done in the NFL. Uh, in the past two seasons, crazy that that game finished seven to six. <laughs> I know, no, no surprise that he's had that success. Um, but that, I mean, that that kind of speaks to the job that Michigan State's defense did in that game, right? Yeah, I what, mean, that what, what happens if you don't lose Kenny Willickus, uh, you know, in the end zone trying to get to him? You know, maybe it's yeah. a different story. Of course, that maybe Kenny Willickus didn't come back for that last year. Well, I think he previously said that he was planning on yep. leaving, so. All right, on that note, thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.